Turn to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 8. And uh, just for a moment, we're going to read this together. I would ask that you would stand to your feet to honor the word of the Lord. All right. Um, We're going to read in the book of Matthew, chapter 8. We're going to read from verses 28 to 34. Um, And today I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. New King James. And when when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. So, they, so when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, um, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Master, we thank you for the wonderful privilege to be in your presence, the privilege to worship you, the privilege and the honor to be called the sons and daughters of God in the midst of your people. Thank you for this building that we can come to, Lord God. I thank you for the church, Lord God, that is here today, the people that have filled it. I pray, Father God, that you would just send your anointing, that the yoke may be broken, hallelujah, that the captive may be set free, that we would be able to, get, to draw closer to you, um, that we might be able to live the life that you originally designed us for. Master, have your way in our lives. We invite you to have your way. We invite you to infiltrate our hearts and our minds, Lord God, and cut away that which keeps us from getting to you. As we speak today, Father, I pray that your voice would would ring loud in this place. I pray that you would give me the opportunity, Father God, just to stand here, but Lord, so that you can do your thing. Hallelujah. Help me to get out of your way today, Lord God. Uh, We just invite you, Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Hallelujah. All right. Everybody can cop a squat today. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So this week, I, uh, I had had the opportunity to go away for training for my job. Um, and at, at my job, I'm a, a therapeutic crisis intervention trainer. So I train the staff how to deal with people when they're going into crisis, how to deal with the emotional flooding that happens. And uh, so I was away at the Holiday Inn up in Mount Kisco for a couple of days. And it was, uh, it was very rigorous. It was intense as I stand here and shake my head to emphasize how intense it was. And so uh, throughout both days, I, was, uh, I, was, I gave presentations and I was asked to give back information. So the whole idea is that, you know, they feed you the information, they check your understanding by you having to feed it back to them and then demonstrating your, how you can use what they've taught you. And I was 
freaking out. And uh, so Thursday morning, I woke up early. I started to study, and there was like a blockage in my head, and I, I just wasn't, the material wasn't connecting. It wasn't, it wasn't kind of doing this. It was kind of doing this. It wasn't smooth in my head, and, and in order to take a test for something, it's got to be smooth and linear in your mind and your thinking. It's got to become a part of you, and I was freaking out. And so I, I chose to pull out my Bible and spend some time in prayer reading the Word and um, to kind of just relax a little bit, and I, I wanted to just stop studying. I, I just asked God to help me, and I took the test, and I, I'm pretty sure that I passed with flying colors. God is good that way. As I'm reading the scripture, I come to Matthew chapter 8, and uh, why are you sitting all the way back there? You're usually right here. You, Elder. Oh, air, gotcha. Make me nervous. Got to have my dad's here in front of me. Um, so uh, I'm reading in Matthew chapter 8, and I come to this chapter, and this is, a, this is actually a chapter that has intrigued me, uh, and I've come to it several times, but when I looked at it this time, I saw it in a different way. And a lot of times, pastor will mention how, you know, the Word of God is like a diamond and it has many facets and it depends, you know, on what angle you look at, you see a different light to it. And so that happened on Thursday. And so as I'm reading Matthew chapter 8, um, I'm reading about how Jesus shows up um, in, you know, in one book it's called the Gergesenes and two other books it's called the Gadarenes. And so uh, it's kind of an interchangeable name. I might say Gadarenes. That one's easier to say, so I'll probably use that one. Um, but this particular story we find in three books, three of the Gospels. We find it in Matthew chapter 8. We also find it again in uh, Mark chapter 5. And we find it again in uh, Luke chapter 8. And it's the same story, essentially. And the beauty about the Gospels is that you're hearing uh, a lot of the same stories uh, and, and with slightly different details highlighted, right? So when we, when we read the Gospels, we realize that when you overlay the text, you, you get a, a bigger and more complete picture, right? And that's why, that's why it's important to read all of them and compare and contrast when you study. Somebody say amen. All right. You're alive, right? You're awake? Okay. I don't want to feel like I'm pulling teeth here today, so you're going to work with me. Amen? All right. Um, so when you overlay the three Gospels, you get a bigger and more complete picture. Um, and so when I looked at it that way, it just kind of blew my mind. I saw things that I'd never seen before. Um, in fact, I saw a few things that I thought would be uh, appropriate for a sermon, and lo and behold, pastor lost his voice, <laughs> and... Uh, and I got a call on Friday. And, uh, and so I believe that God has uh, given me a word for us today. Uh, and I'm careful not to say uh, a word for you. I'm careful to say that it's a word for us, including myself, especially myself. Myself more than anyone else. So as we look at uh, this story about Jesus showing up at the Gadarenes and uh, encountering the demon-possessed men, uh, the book of Matthew actually says that it was two. Uh, Mark and Luke kind of agree that it was one. Uh, and and it's, not, it's not a conflict. It's not a contradiction. I think uh, Mark and Luke just decided um, that there was one guy more prominent in the picture. And so maybe the other guy was kind of standing around with his hands in his pocket more unnoticeable than the guy who was boisterous and loud and more scary. Um, and so... At this point in the, in the text, 
we find that um, Jesus' fame is starting to spread. Uh, in fact, before he gets to, to the Gadarenes, he is first in Capernaum. Everybody say Capernaum. Bapidi bapidi boop. Easy to say, right? Capernaum. And so while he's at Capernaum, they, um, he performs a number of miracles, right? And more specifically, they had actually brought a, a, a truckload, if you will, of demon-possessed people for Jesus to cast demons out of. And they also brought sick people for him to heal. So at the end of uh, chapter 7, you find where, you know, Jesus started delivering people of, you know, these demon-afflicted people, and he's healing the sick, and something happens. Um, In Capernaum, uh, what was happening, what Jesus was doing was spread abroad, and it caused a huge stir. It caused a huge commotion. You find that uh, it got to the point where um, the attraction of people that came to him, the word refers to them as a multitude. Everybody say a multitude. And people rushed to the scene. They wanted to figure out who this guy was. They wanted to know who it was. They wanted to draw closer to Jesus, right? They wanted to get close. They, went, they wanted to come in and inspect this guy. Like, who is he? What's going on with this dude? Like, what, what is so fabulous about him? And so from my understanding, it seems like they didn't understand who he was. Right? They, didn't, they didn't know who he was showing up on the scene. But after seeing the miracle, not only they, did they receive what he did, but they wanted to get closer. They wanted to get to him, right? Much like the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years wanted to get to him. She knew that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, that something would happen, that her healing would take place. Amen? And so in, the, in, in Matthew chapter 7, we find where Jesus uh, heals the demon-possessed and he heals the sick. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it says heals the demon-possessed. Um, and the multitudes are drawn to him. In fact, I think what, the scene may have looked so chaotic that he became overwhelmed, that the disciples became overwhelmed. And he basically said, guys, it's getting hairy here. Let's get in the boat and get to the other side. Right? And so they get in the boat, and we're familiar with the story on the way to the Gadarenes, uh, or Gadaria, rather, is the name of the place. On the way to Gadaria, there's this storm, and there's this wind, and, uh, you know, Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and the disciples freak out. And, and, and you know, uh, Jesus had just been in, in the previous chapter with a, a Roman centurion who said, my servant is sick, you know, would you, would you heal him? And Jesus says, sure, take me to him. And the guy says, no, I understand authority. I understand who you really are. In fact, if you just say the word, I know that he'll be healed when I get back there. And Jesus says, whoa, all of this, uh, all, in all of Israel, I've never seen this kind of faith. And um, then he gets in the boat with the disciples, the guys that were closest to him, the ac- actually Jews who had studied about the Messiah their whole life, who should have known who he was. They were freaking out because they were faith less when facing the storm but the roman centurion who wasn't a jew who had not grown up who had grown up a pagan who had not grown up in the tradition and the laws of moses understood who he was and what he could do but these goofball disciples jesus we're gonna die and so you find the issue of faith somebody say faith when presented with the men who should not have had faith he showed jesus that he had faith in the midst of disciples who were around him basically 24-7, he found a lack thereof. 
And so it's very interesting to see the phenomena that happened in Capernaum. Now, if somebody shows up in your neighborhood um, and you hear about something like this taking place, where there are demon-possessed people being healed and delivered of, of uh, spiritual oppression, and you hear that somebody is laying hands on people and they're getting healed miraculously, what are you going to do? I'm going to put my chancletas on and I'm going to go outside and take a look because we are nosy by nature. We got to know what's going on, especially if it's in our neighborhood. Amen? Okay. Somebody say faith. Somebody say the response was faith. The response was faith. Interesting, is it not? In Capernaum, he delivered demon-possessed men, and the response was faith. The response was a rushing or a drawing to the master. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. I believe that these miracles were for a purpose. It was more than just saving people and delivering people. I believe that the intent for miracles was also to draw people to provide the spectacle so that people would come. And people think that miracles are for the sake of miracles, but they're not quite. Miracles are for the sake of drawing men and women unto himself. Amen? We find that Jesus' fame is starting to spread. He began teaching and preaching and doing miracles. Chapters 5, 6, and 7, we find that he... Um, all of his most important teachings about kingdom living takes place. And then he, 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 picks up, he picks up right where he left off. He goes into the miracles of Capernaum, and he heads in the boat. He goes over to the Gadarenes. Um, hallelujah. Jesus gets to the Gadarenes, and the Bible says that he stepped off the boat, and somebody say immediately. Somebody say immediately. Immediately he's encountered, according to Matthew, by these two demon-possessed men. Um, and it's interesting, from the three Gospels, you get the same story, but they choose to highlight certain details. Right, so the, the encounter in Mark and the encounter in Luke are a little bit more similar, right? Whereas Matthew... Uh, doesn't express everything that they give. Matthew says he was encountered by two demon-possessed men. Mark says it was one guy. Luke says it was one guy. Matthew didn't talk about how the, uh, the people at the Gadarenes dealt with these, these demon-possessed men, right? It's very interesting. When you read it, you realize that these two guys, these two individual men, basically had the whole neighborhood locked down. It says that they lived in tombs and, uh, and they would sometimes go up into the mountains and they could be heard crying and screaming. I think Mark excuse me, mentions that, that they would cut themselves with rocks. They were tormented. Uh, in fact, they were living in a place that was meant for the dead. Um, we realize that um, these two poor souls, 
were afflicted and tormented. And so I suspect that Jesus, as he was healing the, the possessed in Capernaum, maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking, wait a second, there's two that are not here. I need to go to them. Right? In fact, I think Jesus' whole trip to the Gadarenes was an act of mercy. Somebody say mercy. mercy. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. These two demon-possessed men, Mark and, and Luke, agree that uh, the people in the neighborhood, they tried to put chains on them. And Mark says that he would literally pull them apart and break the chains. And somehow what they were going through allowed them to have supernatural strength. It even says that the shackles that they placed on their wrists, that they would break them up into pieces. Everybody say, Freaky! They sound like two very cheerful fellows. Amen? People you want to invite over to meet mom? Ladies? <laughs> no, no, probably not. Probably not. Clearly they were tormented and afflicted. Clearly there was something not right. Clearly the fact that they were able to have the neighborhood locked down. The Bible says that people wouldn't even pass that way because of these men. It's an indicator that Satan didn't just have a stronghold on their lives as individuals. He had a stronghold on the entire town through them. In fact, Satan's presence in their life was inhibiting the entire city's freedom. They were not truly free. There was a place that they did not have access to simply because these two men out of, you know, I don't know how many were there, potentially a couple hundred, couple thousand, but their freedom was inhibited because of these two men. I'm sure there were people that felt, you know, on a regular basis they wanted to go visit their loved ones in the tombs and they could not go there. Mm. I wonder if we can reflect in on our own lives, if there are people that we can think of uh, that may be affecting other people's lives in that way. Or, or perhaps maybe somebody that may be in your own life that your responsibility is, supposed to, is, is to speak to them and to help them uh, because their entire generation or their entire family or in their entire neighborhood is afflicted because of them. We can, we can see that today, right? Perhaps you live in a neighborhood and maybe there are drug dealers in the corner and your family won't even come over because they don't want to deal with what's on the corner. Right? It's an example of what we may be experiencing today that is similar to that situation. Your freedoms are limited. Your freedoms are inhibited. And I would say maybe you're afraid to confront them because of their state, because of their condition. Right? Um, much like the people of that city didn't want to deal with those two uh, possessed men in the tombs. Can I offer you this? Could it be that part of the problem was the people at the Gadarenes were trying to deal with a spiritual problem with a physical intervention? Right? So we read about how they dealt with these men at the Gadarenes. 
What did they do? They put chains and shackles. But they were broken. And it's sort of like putting a band-aid on a leg that's severed. It's not going to do the trick. Um, I wonder if in our lives sometimes we try to deal with spiritual things with our own physical abilities. And so the beauty of what we read here today is that Jesus showed up to deal with it for them. Wow. Amazing. I wonder if we can think about that for a moment. If, if over, over the years, I've been in the Lord 20 years, Pastor. I know you've been in the Lord 30 plus years, 40, 40 years, my mistake, which would make you only 40 years old. That's amazing. Over the course of our lives, I'm sure we can think of many situations that later on we, we realized that the problem was spiritual, but we were trying to respond with a natural or physical intervention. That was a major problem. Um, putting shackles and chains on these guys did not set them free. It did not provide any more freedom that they uh, didn't have before. It didn't solve the problem. I suspect that was it, there was an even dip, deeper issue, though. Amen? I need water. Forgive me, I felt like I was eating a marshmallow. You try singing up here for a half hour, sweating your guts out. I am drained of all fluids. <laughs> Poor Brandon was trying to give me a tissue. Wipe out of my eyes, I couldn't see. All I could think was, my eyes are burning. Hallelujah. Ah, forget it. I can't deal with the notes anyway. I brought a Kindle today that's about this big. And my glasses aren't big enough. <laughs> I can't read it. I thought I'd be able to. I was kidding myself. Um, one of the problems that the Gadarenes had uh, the Gadarians, rather, had was that they were trying to respond to spiritual issues with natural um, interventions. When you look closer at these people, you realize that there was more of a problem than even that. Uh, in studying this, I, re I realized that most theologians believe that the people at the Gadarenes, they were Jews, but they were Hellenists, right? And so if, when you study a little bit, you realize that... Um, over the f period of 400 years where between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, um, there was a, a bunch of transitional changes in the world. There were different empires that took over, right? So you had the Persians, the Babylonians, and then you had Alexander the Great who basically conquered most of the known world. And so one of the things that he was doing, he was spreading this thing called Hellenism. Everybody say Hellenism. And Hellenism is basically the, the spread of pagan beliefs, the, the spread of, pagan, uh, of Greek beliefs and Greek culture, which were deeply rooted in pagan spirituality. Right? And so the scholars, you know, although it's not uh, explicit, uh, scholars agree that these guys were most likely Jews that were Hellenists. And so when you read on and you realize that um, there was a discourse, there was a conversation between the two demon-possessed men and Jesus, um, uh, Matthew says that he immediately came to him and he said, what do I have to do with you? Or what do you want from me? Or what, what's going on? Are you here to torment me before the time has come? 
Right? So the demon realized that there's a, a prescribed amount of time that he's allowed to do and to be what it is that he's doing and where he's at and you know, what's going on in the world. Why? Because the Lord is coming back, but we'll not get into that. But there's a limit, right? And he realized that and he immediately ran to Jesus. Uh, Mark says that he came to him and he, not the man, but the demon through the man, worshipped Jesus, right? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? The demon bowed down and worshipped Jesus. And then uh, Luke says that the demon-possessed man dropped himself at, at Jesus' feet and begged him not to torment him. Right? So through this act of worship, through this act of humiliation, um, I believe that Jesus, uh, later on, you read that he cast out the, the, the demon and sent it into the pigs. Right? And Mark and Luke say that they weren't, there wasn't just one demon, it was many demons. In fact, it even described itself as a legion, which I'm not exactly sure of how many that is. It sounds like a lot. Is it, how many is it? 5,000, 3,000? All right. So the theologian view would be a lot. Like a ridiculous amount. And so you, you quickly realize that this moment was an act of mercy, right? But it's not just an act of mercy for the sake of mercy. It served several purposes. Number one, uh, you have to remember that, you know, Lucifer suckered the other, the other angels. So you read that the angels were cast out of heaven. This demon or demons, they were fallen angels. Um, and so they chose to align themselves with Lucifer, but I believe that to an extent they were fooled. I believe that this demon that addressed Jesus recognized, dude, this guy suckered me. And he uh, placed himself in humility, prostrate before Almighty God in the flesh. Right? Uh, so I believe him casting the, the demon into the pigs was an act of mercy for him. I believe it was also an act of judgment of Jesus upon the people of the Gadarenes. So when you read the story, you realize that the, the pigs, they were being bred. They were being bred for a purpose. And if they were Jews, this was a no-no. Somebody say, uh-uh-uh. Jews didn't mess with pigs. They didn't eat pigs. They didn't do any of that. They, they considered them nasty, filthy, vile, disgusting creatures because God commanded them to, God himself. Interesting. If these were Jews, then what were they doing breeding pigs? I'm sure they were eating, which was against their law, uh, it's suspected that they were breeding them to sell to the pagans in this place called Decapolis. So they were making monetary wealth from it. And I'm sure they were, because Hellenists, they were probably sacrificing them unto idols. Somebody say, uh-uh-uh. That's a no-no. The pigs represented sin. The pigs represented the wedge that was being driven between God and man. 
And Jesus shows up and deals with it. Right? So sending the demons into the pigs, that was the second thing. That was the second reason. And it's a beautiful thing. So number one, say it's an act of mercy. But somebody else say it's an act of a judgment. Let me say this. In our lives, there are going to be times when the Lord himself is going to be granting us mercy, but also doing things in judgment in our lives, judging us so that we could peel away the junk. This is not good. I need it out. Amen? Somebody say it's a hopping good time. No, it's not. You better stop lying. Sometimes there are things in our lives, things that we allow into our lives. Sometimes there are things that we invite uh, for a, a whole slew of reasons. You know, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that everything is perfect and right overnight. There's a process you have to go to. There's a stripping away. There may be things that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now about that he wouldn't have mentioned a year ago or a year before that. He understands who we are and what we can deal with, and so he deals with us in increments. There are things that he may ask us to let go of at certain stages in our life. Amen? Somebody say, how do I respond? Chew on that for a second. So when we look at the Gadarenes and we, re- we look at what they were involved in, we realize very quickly that they were not doing the right thing. So there was more of a problem than just the two demon-possessed men that had the, the city on lockdown, right? Which we already said that they lived in tombs. They were very comfortable with human beings, men who were created in the image and likeness of God. They were comfortable with having them live in tombs and cutting themselves with stones. So long as they didn't come into the city, they could have the tombs. They're dead anyway. Where's the compassion in that? They were missing a great deal, were they not? Um, Jesus shows up on on the scene he casts the demons into the pigs. What happens with the pigs? They run, fall over the cliff, and they drown. And the reason we know that they were, you know, uh, breeding these pigs for profit was because they had a, a guy there hurting them, watching them. And I'm sure it was this little dude. Uh, you know, usually they would employ kids to watch, you know, whatever the flock was. In this case, <laughs> and he sees what happens. And he runs and he goes down to the city and he, and he grabs people and he says, listen, uh, the pigs, they, they all just ran into the sea and they're all drowned. And, but that's not, that's not all of it. These two demon-possessed men that we've been dealing with for a long time, both Mark and, and Luke describe how these men were demon-possessed for a long period of time. It had been quite a while. They knew exactly who these guys were and where they were and what they were dealing with. He says, these two demon-possessed men were just delivered. They're sitting there. They look okay. Uh, Luke actually says that they were naked. Um, 
And, and so now he's sitting there clothed, lucid, uh, able to speak, delivered completely. Isn't, it's a miracle. And so I suspect that the guys in the city, they all left their homes and they came out to the, to the tombs to meet who this guy was and to see what was going on. And I don't know if the conversation had the emphasis on the pigs or the guys that were delivered. I don't know. I don't know what that conversation was like. One could suspect that the concern, one would hope that the concern was for the two men. But what do we see when they show up on the scene? They show up, they took a look at Jesus, checked him out, and the Bible says that they were fearful. Fearful. I don't think Matthew says it, but I think Mark and Luke agree that they were scared. And the response was, please, get out of here. Go away. Could it be that the pigs were more important? Could it be that the thing that they were holding on to, that they were using in their lives, that they were, that they were allowing to drive a wedge between them and God, uh, was more important to them than God himself showing up on the scene, bringing liberty and freedom, delivering men who were tormented and oppressed? Could it be that the pigs were more important? When we looked at the response from Capernaum, everybody say Capernaum. Love that word. The response we said was one of they wanted to draw closer to Jesus. They wanted to find him. They wanted to get to him. They wanted to see him for themselves. They charged him. They rushed him. But in the Gadarenes, there was a very different response. He shows up, performs the same miracle that he had just done in Capernaum. And they reject him. Somebody say, mm. That was like taking a bite out of a gigantic greasy burger. Chew on that for a second. The response was very different. The re- everybody say the response. The response. How do you respond when Jesus shows up looking to set you free? Looking to make your life better? And because it doesn't quite look the way we expected or because it doesn't sound the way we expected or because it may not seem like what we want, we reject him. And I I would hope that in our lives we would not be like the Gadarenes, I'm sorry, the Gadarians. It's all very strange. I'd like to see you say Gadarenes, Gadarians, and Gergesenes three times fast. And Gadaria. Greek is complicated. I should hope that we would not respond like the Gadarenes, but our response would be like the, Cap- the people at Capernaum. 
sometimes in our lives, we, we uh, you know, matter of fact, all of us as Christians, we expect that God is going to bless us, right? We expect that God is going to do mighty things for us. Amen? Somebody say amen. We expect that God as our heavenly Father will provide for us. He will give us the best gifts. In fact, that's what His Word says. He said, how is it that a, a, a natural father being evil knows how to give his natural, gift, uh, natural son good gifts? How much more that your heavenly Father wants to bless you with good gifts? Right? We expect it, and we should expect it. Amen? How many, how many people want gifts from God? Absolutely. I want gifts. I don't mind having stuff and blessings. How many people are willing and ready to let Jesus come in and, and get rid of the things that we know are unacceptable to him in order to get that? And, and it's not, a, it's not a, you know, a thing where I already told you that God works with us in increments. There are things that he'll address over the course of time. I was having a conversation with a brother just yesterday um, who is not here. Uh, he said that, you know, he was at a stage in his life where, you know, he and his wife were having a discussion. And uh, she said that, um, you know, there were some things that you're going to have to let go of. There's a, there are some objects in the home and, you know, some things that you do now that you're going to have to get rid of. And uh, he said, you know, he, he said, as he's explaining to me, he's like, well, you know, she's telling me I got to get rid of this stuff. And, you know, it's not cool. It's hindering my walk with God. I said, cool. I get that. I understand. Um, and so I said, well, my brother, you know, your wife can have her feelings about those things. Um, and I could even give you advice. But ultimately, it, it has to you have to reflect on your relationship with God and what he's saying to you about it. Right? Is that fair to say? Pastor, am I saying that right? Cool. All right. Got to double check. And, and so in the conversation, I said, so just answer me this. Has God spoken to you about it? And he said, hmm, well. And he described on two occasions where there was a nudging from the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't a very intense thing. It was just a very subtle little, huh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And it was very subtle. And God, you know, as we know, God is a gentleman and he's not going to shove you around. He's not going to push you around. Uh, if you keep ignoring him, he may holler a little bit and, to get your attention, but you know, he'll be very subtle and gentle. And so he admitted to me that there were two occasions where he felt a gentle nudge. And I said, okay, so then, you know, if you're, if you're mature enough to even admit that to me, because anybody could just say, nope, I ain't heard nothing. Right? We, we could, in our uh, indignance, say, you know, nope, I didn't hear a thing. I don't want to let it go. Very easy to do. And I would be none the wiser. But God knows. And so he was mature enough to admit that God, on two occasions, had nudged him, give him a little, a little just, you know, hey, what's up with that? Right? Everybody say, what's up with that? How many times have you heard the Holy Spirit say in your ear, in, your, in, the, in the ear holes of your heart, what's up with that? Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Don't tell God to shut up. So he admitted there were two occasions that said, okay, so then it's not a question of whether or not. It's a question of when 
and how. And so I, I described how, you know, through prayer and through just obedience to God, God will help to soothe you in the midst of this transition of your life. Right? How many people have ever been there? Lord, you, you want me to let this go? you got to help me. It's hard, Lord. I don't want to let it go. It comforts me. It soothes me. It gives me what I want. It's what I'm used to. You're going to jack me up and make me move out of my comfort place? Don't do that, Lord. That's not nice. Listen, he's not supposed to be nice. A few weeks ago, we had a, I, I preached a sermon where, where it talked about making Jesus your master, going from uh, Lord and Savior to then transitioning to the idea of him becoming your master. Did I not? And so, um, where was I? Master. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. And so in our, in, our, in our look at the Gadarenes, the Gadarians, and what happened there, we have to look closely at their response. And as Christians, as people that are striving to get closer to God, we have to look at our response. We have to admit that we don't have it all together yet. I'll tell you right now, I don't have it all together. There are things that I struggle with too. Amen? That's right. Dude with the mic in his hand has struggles too. We are all humans. And my struggles may be different from yours. The area of my life that God is dealing with may be different from the area of your life. But the response should be obedience. The response should be welcoming him into your space. Welcoming Jesus into your space to have his way. Lord, that's what you want? Okay, help me through it, but I invite you to deal with it. Jesus showed up at the Gadarenes to deal with their issues, to deal with the sin issue, to deal with the demon-possessed men, to deliver them and give them freedom. So there comes a time in your life when you have to say the pigs are not more important. The filth and the garbage It's not important. What's important is getting to Jesus, getting closer to him, getting to to understand his word, to know who he is. Part of the issue is that the the Gadarians didn't know who he was. In fact, the disciples really didn't have it all together and didn't even figure it out. In the boat, you know what the, the end result was after them watching him calm the storm and the wind and the waves? They said, what manner of man is this? What kind of guy? Who the heck is this guy? Huh? They didn't even have a firm grasp. You've got to know who he is. You've got to be able to recognize him when he's doing something in your midst. You've got to be able to hear. You've got to be able to perceive. And it's only when you are connected to the Holy Spirit that you can do that. It's only when you have a knowledge of his word and something to refer to to make sure that everything is on the up and up. Is this God or isn't this God? 
Is this the Holy Spirit or isn't this the Holy Spirit? Do we know the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are we tuned into the right frequency? Once you get that frequency in, break the knob off, man. Just hack it off with a hammer. Pow! Leave it right there. How do we do this? Through prayer, through fasting, through reading and digesting and, and, and making a part of us the Word of God, hiding the Word of God. Right? So we read in Scripture where it says, I hide the Word of God in my heart that I might not do what against you? Sin. The sin issue. The pigs are not more important than deliverance and freedom in your life. If there are things in your life that you need to let go of that you know, and I feel like I said this just a couple of weeks ago, man, just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Pick your nose with your toes. I don't know the words. Anybody knows? That's probably not it right now. Somebody write Disney. Tell them I've adulterated their song. If there are things in your life that the Holy Spirit has been nudging you with, man, just let it go. If he's showing up in your life, if he is showing up on your shores on a mission, looking to take something away, looking to break something, looking to manipulate something, to move you forward, looking to, to, to cause you to be in a place where you can actually hear him, rather be in the place where you're comfortable, then just let it go. Let it go. Somebody say, the pigs are not more important than freedom, than true relationship. Amen? You'll be all the better for it. 